Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my Right, we can go ahead and get started tonight. Uh, we can. It's our uh, last Wednesday night of 2023. It's hard to believe how quickly uh, this year has gone by, and we want to welcome you to our services tonight. It's just an honor to to say hello and to welcome several who are visiting with us. We are so glad that you're here, and we want you to come back and be with us anytime that you can. As you can tell, we don't have a bulletin this week, so. I'm going to try to make some uh, updates on announcements uh, for your benefit, but I want to begin with some great news tonight. Uh, we're going to have a wedding 
right after services tonight. And uh, I missed the rehearsal dinner. I told Ken, I missed the rehearsal dinner. So I want some leftovers maybe from that. But we want to congratulate uh, Drew Forrest and Amanda Snyder. I got that last name right, didn't I? They're going to be married tonight, and that's wonderful news. And uh, all of you, right, are invited to stay afterwards for that wedding. Now, at, we're thinking about weddings right now. And uh, as of this afternoon, Carter Sweeney and Mallory Mahon, is that how you sell that? How you, Mahon? Got it? Are engaged. And he's not even got his arm around her back there. Look at that. You know, they ain't been engaged four or five hours. He still don't have his arm around her back there. But you can tell they're happy. And uh, if y'all want to, we can have a double wedding tonight. That'd be a real short engagement, wouldn't it? You know, but anyhow, congratulations to them. That's just wonderful news. Uh, on a sadder note, my father passed away this afternoon. We kind of expected that with uh, his circumstances. I don't know when the funeral's going to be. It'll be in Florence uh, when they transport him back to the Florence area. So I'll let you know about that uh, whenever the time comes. I hope you'll come back Sunday. Uh, try to bring somebody with you. We'll have a worship service together at 930. It'll be our last service of the year. So I hope you'll be here at 930. And then our Bible classes on Sunday evening will be at 5 o'clock. Speaking of the last Sunday, our New Year's Eve chili and soup supper is going to be this Sunday evening in the annex following our Bible classes. It's being hosted by the Focus Group, but it's for the entire church. Everyone's invited to bring lots of chili and soups and sides and desserts, and uh, we can enjoy a great time of fellowship on the last day of this year. Uh, I do want us to remember in our prayers, uh, Drew and many of our youth group, about 28 or 29 left this morning to Huntsville for Exposure Youth Camp. Uh, let's remember them in our prayers as they travel for their safety. It's going to be a very spiritual, uplifting, and enriching week. I've been to Exposure several times myself. It's a fabulous uh, three days, and they'll benefit tremendously from that. Also, January the 3rd, a week from tonight, we're going to have a singing night, so let's be looking forward to that. And I do want to remind you that Sunday is our fifth Sunday. This year happens to have five Sundays, and so our fifth Sunday contribution is going to be going toward mission work. Uh, just think about all the people in our world today that die unprepared to meet God without any hope in this world. You know, and, and you know, we don't have the money to save everybody in the world, but the more money that we do have for missions, the more potential that we have for other people to hear the gospel. So hope you'll think about that between now and Sunday and uh, plan to give a little extra, and uh, let's do our part to make sure that the gospel is heard throughout our world. For our devotional tonight, Brother Jim Estes is going to lead our singing. Cameron Jumper will lead our prayer, and Brother Stephen Hodgen will present our devotional thoughts. Turn please to number 452, standing on the promises, we'll sing the first and last stanza, 452. 
standing on the promises of Christ my like to follow along with our devotional thoughts tonight, I invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 3. The invitation song will be 911, if you want to go ahead and open that, 911. But Revelation chapter 3, the first six verses. You know, from today until Sunday, the 31st of uh, December 2023, if you're on social media or if you uh, watch the news or the various commentaries, documentaries, etc., there'll be all kinds of programs and uh, individuals who, re who are reflecting on the various, making various observations about 2023 with its ups and its downs. But also in the midst of all of that, there'll be those who are looking into 2024. Uh, and among all of that, you'll find those who are, will be making suggestions, telling you, here are some things you need to know if you want to be successful. Here are some things that you need to know if you want to, and then you can fill in the blank. But as we think about that, as we think about God blessing us to find ourselves at the end of another calendar year and on the brink of the beginning of a new calendar, a new year, new opportunities, new days, weeks, months, years, etc., if so God blesses us, there are some things that we do need to know. And as we look into Revelation chapter 3, and we, we quickly look at the first six verses, and I want us to just look at these verses, no other verses, and just from here, there are some things that we, as the Boonville Church, now understand the Boonville Church as a collective body, as a collective group, the church that meets here, is also made up of individuals as a part of the body. So as we look at these things, yes, it applies to us as a collective group of Christians, the body of Christ, but also as individuals who make up that body. There are some things that the church at Sardis found out that we can know as we think about this new year that's approaching. Number one, let's look at verse one. To the angel of the church at Sardis write, he who, has seven, uh, he who has the seven spirits of God, 
And the seven stars says this, I know your deeds. First of all, the, Sardis, the church at Sardis found out that God knows their works. And you and I can know that God knows exactly what we're all about. God knows our deeds. Uh, regardless of what we may present to the community, regardless of what may be said about us or documented um, about us, God knows exactly what we're all about. And as individuals, God knows exactly what our deeds are, what our works are. Let's keep reading in verse 1. I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Number two, the Sardis church found out that we can be dead even though we think we're alive. And we, as a church, as a group of God's people, as a body, need to know that we can be dead even though we think we're alive or we appear to be alive. Sometimes, it makes me think of something I saw just recently. I, I was, uh, um, I think it was in another teacher's classroom. And I was looking at the Christmas tree, and I, I made the observation, that's a really pretty tree. And then that individual made the statement, yeah, but have the, one of the strings of lights aren't working. And sure enough, on closer uh, uh, observation, or looking a little closer, a whole string of those lights weren't looking at a distance, or weren't working. At a distance, it looked just fine. It looked rather pretty, to be honest. But when you uh, looked a little closer, there was an entire group of lights that ought to have been shining bright, that ought to have been putting off color, ought to have been making that whole complete. Simply wasn't there. They were dark. They were empty. You know, you and I can be a part of something. I can be sitting in this pew. I can be here on Sunday morning. I can have my name in the directory and, and uh, appear to be a part of something which is very much alive. But yet... I personally am dead. The church at Sardis found out that you can be dead even though you think you're alive. And we need to know that. Well, let's keep reading verse 3. So remember what you have. Well, let's back up verse 2. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain which are about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Number 3, the church at Sardis found out that we can fix what's broken. And oh, if there was ever something that we need to know as a group of God's people, that if something's broken, it doesn't have to stay that way. If I am empty, even though I should be shining the light of God, if I'm broken, I can be fixed. He said very, very plainly, remember what you've received. Keep it. Repent. We can fix what's broken. But number four, let's look at verse three. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it. But look what he said. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come upon you. The church at Sardis found out that God doesn't wait forever. And you and I need to know God doesn't wait forever. He doesn't wait. He may wait all of all 365 days of 2024. Or he might not. For me, he may wait. Or he might not. But one thing I can know for sure is what the church at Sardis found out. God doesn't wait forever for us to do that which we ought to do. But then number five, look at verses four and five. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. 
He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. The church at Sardis found out from our Lord that we can walk with God and we can be worthy. And you and I can know that regardless of where we are at this moment, we can make the choice to walk with God. We can be worthy if we so choose to keep what we've heard and repent if we need to. But then verse 6, y'all do realize this is about a 45-minute sermon in about four minutes. Uh, but look at verse 6. I hope you'll study it some more. He ends by saying this to the church at Sardis. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So as I think about that, I can listen to what God said to the church at Sardis and understand that he's saying it to me. And he's saying it to us as God's people here right now on the very eve of 2024. So let's hear what he says and know what they found out. And if you need to respond to heaven's invitation tonight in obedience to put on Christ in baptism, to have your sins washed away, or to fix that which is broken in your life through repentance, if we can help you in any way, won't you come right now while we stand, while we sing? pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we have to <clears throat> come together. Lord, we're always of utmost thankfulness for Christ who came and gave that ultimate sacrifice for our sins. Lord, we pray a special prayer at this time for Brother Doug Smith and his family. Lord, we're so thankful for Doug and what he does here for us. So thankful for his labor and love for you. Pray, Lord, you'll Wrap your arms around this family and help them through this time. Lord, we're so thankful for the leadership we have here. We're so thankful for all our elders and deacons. Lord, we pray that we'll be supportive and we will lean on them and we will help them and, and be ever so grateful for their service. Lord, we pray at this time a special prayer and thanks for Sister Jimmy Timms, Andrea Barrett, Dee Worley, and James Hester. So thankful for the great work they do and Maybe at times we overlook such a great service and work that they do for us. Pray, Lord, that we'll always be gratified and thankful to them. 
Lord, we pray at this time for our youth that's gone. Lord, we pray to keep them safe. Lord, pray that they will be together there, Lord, and glorify you and, and continue to grow and feed on your word and desire it. Lord, we're thankful at this time for the new members that we have. Lord, we pray for them. Pray that we'll do our part to welcome them and embrace them as our new church family. Lord, we know this time of year many people are traveling, visiting, and others. Lord, we pray for, for safety to them, Lord, if it be thy will. Lord, also this time of year is a time of being together, and we want to be ever thankful for our military who is away and away from their family, and pray, Lord, we'll be grateful for that sacrifice. We pray, Lord, of the, the wedding after these services. We pray for this family. Pray for their love to abound. Pray, Lord, they'll look to put you first in that relationship and follow your role. Lord, pray as the new year comes that us as a congregation that we can be like the church at Sardis and hear what needs to hear. And pray, Lord, that we'll have the response as Isaiah did. And when we are needed, pray that we will say, here we are, Lord, send us. Lord, we thank you for all that we have and all that you've done for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Number 988, we'll sing the first stanza as the teachers go to class. When the Savior calls, I will answer.
I do want to go ahead and uh, get started. Uh, appreciate y'all for being here tonight. I uh, hope that uh, our lesson is going to be meaningful and helpful to us in our everyday lives. We're talking about a topic tonight that I think is very needful, not only in the church, but particularly in our culture and in our society. Of course, we're talking about making our lives more meaningful. And uh, each one of these uh, classes has to do with a specific area in our lives that can make our lives more meaningful. And as you can see from the lesson sheet there, cultivating and demonstrating a proper attitude of respect is essential to have a meaningful life. You know, those of you that work in our school systems today, whether you're teachers or principals or supervisors or whatever the case may be, if you've been in that particular area and line of work for a while, I think you probably have noticed a change in the attitude of respect that is demonstrated by young people. You know, the relationship between the respect that we demonstrate toward other people and the respect that they demonstrate toward us, I think helps to emphasize the tremendous importance of cultivating and demonstrating this quality of being respectful. You know, things seem to be changing and somewhat rapidly uh, over time. Uh, I think the reestablishment of the quality of respect toward others, and I say that, and I mean it, the reestablishment of the attitude of respect, because I think we've lost it to start with. We had it, but now we seemingly have lost it. And this reestablishment of the respect for authority toward other people and toward what belongs to them, I think is a pressing need in our society. Uh, we've seen in our world today, we've seen people develop the attitude that shows very little respect for anything, either secular or spiritual. Now, y'all can speak up if you want to and give me some examples. Just take the secular, for example. Uh, look at what has happened since the pandemic, maybe even before that, with uh, how people feel about those who serve as officers, police officers. My nephew is finishing up college. He's already started. He just got married a, a few days ago, and he's going to be a police officer. That's what he wants to do in his life, and he wants to serve in that way. And I have the utmost respect for officers, police officers that serve in that capacity, they literally put their lives on the line every time they walk out the door. And I know just like in any, uh, any kind of work somebody might do, you probably got a bad apple or two, right? But to characterize the whole bunch as uh, being bad is totally without context. Uh, I believe almost all of our officers have good hearts and a desire to serve. They're grossly underpaid. But it's sad to me, and it's been sad to see on the news the disrespect that people have shown toward officers. You know, when we watch the news over some of these, uh, well, I'll just call it what it is, it's riots. <laughs> you know, burning down establishments, you know, uh, throwing rocks and other kinds of things at police officers. We've seen planned ambushes uh, 
you know, of officers in certain areas of our country, that just says a lot about where we are, generally speaking. And even in our school system today, we often hear about tales of young people that terrorize or can terrorize their own teachers in certain places because there's a lack of respect for authority. And of course, that comes from a lack of teaching in the home, which we'll talk about in just a few minutes. What are some other examples of a lack of respect in secular society today? Anybody got any thoughts on that off the top of your head? I mentioned one. Anybody else? Don't all speak at once. God's word. Okay, let's move on then. We'll talk about uh, disrespect for the spiritual. You know, the Bible, you know, is diminished in many places. Uh, God himself is disrespected. I still, I, I just grind my teeth every time a national, I love national, the videos, you know, that shows the nature. When they say 750 million years ago, you know, the very idea, you know, if I made something like that, I'd want credit for it, wouldn't you? If I was able to do something like that, you know, if I built a structure that could stand, which would never happen, uh, you can hear a funny story about that. When we first moved to our house in Montgomery, uh, I guess it's 23, 24 years ago, Jody needed a little rod, you know, by the uh, washer and dryer to hang some clothes on, you know. And I went to Lowe's and bought some stuff and braced it up there and put the bar. I even had it cut like it should be cut. Man, I was proud of that. And uh, she put that first hanger up on there and it just plopped to the ground. I mean, I thought I had it in a stud and everything. So, you know, you don't want to live anything I built. You know, you just don't want to do that. But uh, anyhow, uh, you know, there's a lack of respect uh, for God, the creator, and uh, what he is and who he is. And uh, there is growing, there's growing in the church, even in the church today, a lack of respect for the authority of the Bible, the authority of God's word. Uh, it uh, is under attack from people you wouldn't think it ought to be under attack from. The, the uh, authenticity of the Bible, the inspiration of the Bible is under attack as well. Uh, you know, oftentimes we see certain kinds of music or movies that degrade the spiritual, right? Maybe Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. There's certain kinds of songs and movies uh, that are made that just degrade anything spiritual that there is. And so this kind of, of lack of respect is very obvious, I believe, in our society. Uh, I think we've lived to see a generation grow up that appears to have the idea that, you know, they can take anything they want from anybody they want and get by with it. You know, you know, you see the news, and again, I'm not going to harp on the news tonight all night, but, you know, up in some of those northern cities, teen gangs, multitudes of teens are attacking people, right, and uh, committing various crimes, and, you know, very little is done about such things. Uh, gone are the days of Mayberry, right, where we leave our doors unlocked. You know, if you leave your car door unlocked or your house unlocked, you may pay a price for that, right? You know, people don't respect your property anymore. They don't respect that this is yours. And uh, they don't think that they ought to value that. Uh, you think about some of these carjackings that we see and hear about in the news from time to time. The very idea to, 
to show a lack of respect and, and take something and hurt somebody in the process. You know, think about quickly, too, respecting human life. Uh, there may be a lot of ideas as to why people don't value human life as they should. Uh, abortion, of course, stands out in the forefront of my mind, a lack of respect for the sanctity of life. But, you know, I heard today that this 14-year-old boy, I forgot where it was even, this 14-year-old boy shot his mom in the chest because he was upset that his brother got a little more than he did for Christmas. And uh, he was so upset, and it led to arguments when they got home. He pulled a gun, and he shot his mother in the chest. Now, his 15-year-old brother, who he was arguing with, and his mom about that, came out and shot that brother then. And the stomach killed him. So he had two deaths right there. Can you imagine being so angry about something so unimportant is the amount of money somebody may spend on Christmas presents is to do something like that. You know, where does that lack of respect for life come from? Now, I hear people say it comes from the video games. You know, you can, it's real realistic and you can take people's lives, you know, and it looks just real. Maybe, I don't know if that has anything to do with it or not. I, I think it's just a lack of teaching, period, right? Just a general lack of teaching about the sanctity of life itself. And, you know, when we get to a society and a culture that lives like that, to me, it's very frightening. Uh, we live in an uncertain world today in many, many respects. We, we don't have the security that we long to have because of the disrespect that many people have toward uh, these kinds of things. Now, there's all kinds of excuses today that are made for the conduct of a lawless element in our society. Uh, I hear people say they're just too young to realize what they're doing. Is that a good excuse? Oh, you're just, they're just too young. They don't understand things yet. Well, when I was younger, I understood those kinds of things. I was taught the principle of respect, respecting authority in the home and of my teachers and uh, the military and officers. It does. Well, I think it has a direct relationship to the home. You know, I think it was, was it three years ago that the, uh, the family consisting of father and mother and children was now in the minority for the first time in our nation's history? You're exactly right. But youth is not an excuse, is it, uh, for lack of respect for the safety of the rights of the property of others? And there's one thing for sure. If we don't teach and train our children to show proper respect, then they will not learn it when they get older, will they? They will not learn it when they get older. You think about our overcrowded prisons today. And uh, certainly I believe they testify to the fact that many parents have failed to instill this principle in their children. And 
they've grown up demonstrating a lack of respect for other people. Now, if you're not taught respect in the home, if, if children aren't taught to respect their parents, what's going to happen when they go to school? How are they going to feel about the teacher and her authority? They're going to disrespect that too, right? And they're going to disrespect, you know, the authority of the land, police officers and others in authority. And on and on it goes. There's no stopping place for it. And uh, that's why the home is of primary importance in the training of our young people in the establishment of this idea of respect for authority. Uh, others use the excuse of environment. You know, the environment that I grew up in is the reason for this lack of respect that's demonstrated in the lives of people. I think it's a sad day when people rely and depend upon that kind of, of reasoning. Some people say, well, poverty. Poverty's a reason for a lack of respect. Well, that's never been a legitimate excuse. Uh, many children have been brought up in poverty and they have godly parents who taught them to respect authority of God and the authority of their fellow man. In fact, I believe some of the greatest people in the world are people that grew up in poor surroundings, but they did not allow their environment to imprison them. So I, I can't use this excuse that my environment or youth or uh, the financial situation, poverty, is the reason that I don't respect authority. And regardless of the excuses that may be offered from time to time, I think it, it ought to be clear to everyone who really studies and considers this particular situation that there's absolutely no possible justification for ever demonstrating the attitude of a lack of respect. How many young people do we have today that say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir? Is that as prominent as it once was? You know what I see today when like people are going into the store, whether it's Walmart or some other building, uh, I don't see people holding the door for those coming around them. Maybe it's an older person that's coming in behind them. They don't even care who's behind them. You know, they're just going to go in and they're after what they want and they're focused on self. They're not going to hold the door for anybody, you know. Uh, or maybe there's an older person that's having trouble loading up their car with groceries. You know, people aren't going to just stop what they're doing and, and try to help in any way they can. There, there's a lack of respect there for older people in general. There ought to be a very high regard for the wisdom of older people and the time that they've lived. But that's sorely lacking, I'm afraid, in our culture today. Somebody was starting to say something? I said there's still a few that's trying that way. Yes, that's exactly. I'm not, I'm not, I, yeah. I'm not being, I'm not, I'm just saying generally speaking in our world today, that's the culture that we live in. Now, I've observed our young people here do the very opposite. I've seen our young people demonstrate respect toward their teachers and toward others. And just generally in their character and in how they deal with other people, they're very respectful. And they're respected as a result, I believe. And we've got some wonderful young people here. And it just illustrates what proper training in the home can accomplish. And uh, we've got some very well-behaved youth here, and I'm thankful for them. But you know what? That's because of the parents. That's because of the job you as parents have done. And 
You know, they don't see it in the home. They don't see the husband respecting and honoring the wife and vice versa. I mean, what can you expect, you know, when... Uh, people say, you know, how about the kids acts and respect them. It's really not the kids' fault. It's no. the parents. It's the parents. It, it, the blame goes to the parents. Now, certainly... You know, as they get older, they got to take responsibility for their own selves. But it comes down to a lack of teaching and guidance and admonition from the parents. Uh, let's move on just a little bit. In cultivating and demonstrating uh, the proper respect, uh, proper attitude of respect toward others, it's a responsibility that has to be assumed by this present generation toward the young people. And as we've already emphasized today, it's got to begin in our homes, you know, with mom and dad teaching and instruction. And it takes a lot of work to be a good parent, doesn't it? I mean, it takes a lot of sacrifice. It takes a lot of diligent, hard work to teach our children, you know, responsibility, you know, to, to be a good steward of what they have to respect others and the possessions that they have. For example, Think about Proverbs 22 and verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Now, that's a general rule, right? There are exceptions to that rule. Uh, you know, I know of a preacher's family uh, where they had four sons. Three are outstanding preachers. The other one's in prison, you know. So I'm just saying that's a general rule. You know, once you get older, you make your own decisions and you're responsible for your own decisions. And uh, sometimes a, a child, as they mature and grow older, will make decisions contrary to what their parents taught them. But generally speaking, you know, it's like an arrow in a bow. You try to point that child in the general direction that he should go. You do it by teaching. You do it by setting the right kind of an example for them to follow. And then look at Ephesians 6 and verse 4. Think about this. You fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture, the training, and the admonition of the Lord. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means we're to teach them about God. We spend much time and effort providing our children with, you know, nourishing food for their bodies. We take care of their needs at school. You know, we try to make sure their physical needs are met, are met. But our children also need spiritual food. Admonition here refers to encouragement to do what's right. We encourage our children to always do the right thing. Training means to teach them actually to do what is right. We encourage them to do what's right. And we tell them how to do what's right. And we must know the word of God ourselves in order to teach it to our children. We must live according to the word of God because an example is the most powerful teacher, isn't it? You know, that we see, we, our children see in us consistency with what we teach and how we live. You know, Moses made a lot of emphasis in this matter uh, to the people of God. If you notice Deuteronomy chapter 6, I don't know if that's on your lesson sheet or not, 
Moses said, these words which I command you this day shall be in your heart. Notice there, first of all, what God's teaching is must be in the hearts of the parents. You know, if it's not in the hearts of the parents, if it's not making a difference in the lives of the parents, it really doesn't matter what else happens. But he says, you shall teach them how? Diligently. What does the word diligent mean? Anybody? If you're diligent in doing something, what does that mean? Steadfast, persistent, continuous. What else? Okay, something that's consistently done. You know, we're not this way one time and we're totally inconsistent the other time. You know, we consistently and completely uh, teach our children. You shall teach them diligently. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. When you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You know, we hear a lot about family Bible studies. You know, that's fine. But what we're talking about here is a walking and talking type of religion. Everywhere we go with our children, we're constantly teaching them lessons in life and lessons from God. It's not necessarily, although it's important to read God's Word, we're taking advantage of everyday opportunities as we walk and as we talk with them, whether we're at the store, you know, or on vacation, no matter what we're doing, we're instructing and implanting God's truth in the minds and lives of those children. And that's what we have to do as parents. And then notice uh, Romans chapter 13 and verse 7. There the Bible says, render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Now, as Christians, we're the citizens of heaven, aren't we? Philippians 3 and verse 20. And uh, some people might argue that they don't need to respect people that are in the authority in the world today. But Paul said the opposite's true. We're to respect those in authority. In fact, Christians are people who respect God's authority. Therefore, we're able to understand more clearly than other people what authority really is, even in secular society. And so this cultivating of the proper respect toward others has to be assumed by this present generation. And it begins first with me at home, right? It begins with you and your spouse at home with your children. Can't change the whole world, right? You can change your little section of the world by, by training and leading your children in the way that they should go. Time's getting away from me here. Uh, look, as we think about the importance of developing an attitude of respect toward God, as well as toward our fellow man, uh, I'm reminded of several teachings of the Bible in this respect. There are a number of key words that I want us to notice here for just a few minutes that the Bible uses that denotes this quality of respect that we're talking about. And here are just a couple for us to remember. The first word I want to mention is the word reverence. Anybody got a definition of the word reverence? How, how would you define that word reverence? Don't say to me reverence. <laughs> Respect, that's part of it. It's a holy respect. It's what? A holy respect. A holy respect. Okay. All right. You know, I always think about uh, reverence when I think about 
You know, the, the shepherds who came to visit Jesus, right? And they fell down and worshiped him. There's a reverent attitude. Uh, when I think about reverence, uh, I think about Moses as he stood before God in that burning bush, the bush that would not burn, and he was in awe of who God was and is and so forth. There's a reverent attitude there. Now, you look at some verses there uh, that emphasize that it means showing respect, the proper respect toward God. Psalms 111 and verse 9, holy and reverend is his name. Does any human being ever have the right to be called reverend? You know, I make sure when I do funerals, don't you ever put the word reverend by my name in the paper. I don't want that word, and I don't want the word pastor. I'm nobody's pastor, you know. Uh, uh, we need to understand to use the right terms. The word reverence here is in reference to God. No man ought to ever take upon himself that word reverend and apply it to him in his work for God. Uh, Hebrews 12 and verse 28, we're to serve God with reverence and respect with godly fear. As we live our lives each day, we reverence God. We recognize his power. We recognize who he is and what he's done for us and what he continues to do. And as we live our lives, we make our decisions uh, we think about the words that we speak, the things that we do, and we do all these things in all of who and what God is every single day that we live. Now, there's another word there, and sometimes it can have a negative connotation, and that is the word fear. Uh, fear is a word that's used to help us to understand that showing people respect toward God and uh, the things of God, the impact that that needs to have on our lives. You know, we're to fear God. What does that mean, though? Respect. respect. You know, a child may fear his father, but he loves his father and respects his father's authority, right? You know, a father knows if he disobeys, there's going to be a price to pay. But he still loves his father and wants to be with his father and respects his father. So there's a fear there. It's an element of trusting, uh, if you will, that we need to have toward God. Uh, Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. This is how man is whole. Fear God and keep his commandments. So I'm not going to keep the commandments of God unless, first of all, I fear him. That's why Paul said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. A lot of people don't want to think about the terror of the Lord, do they? Some just want to emphasize God's love and grace and mercy. And certainly God is all that. But we need to fear God. It's a fearful thing, Hebrews 10, 31, to fall into the hands of a living God. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 26. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. Now you think about that. We have confidence in who we are spiritually as a result of fearing the Lord, respecting him, honoring him by our lives. It leads to the fact that we're going to have a strong and unwavering confidence as we live each day. I love this. Proverbs 14, verse, 12, uh, verse 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. 
I think that verse is teaching that generally speaking, we can avoid the snares of life. We can uh, avoid a lot of pitfalls in life if we fear the Lord, right? We're going to make the right decisions. Also, showing honor to those whom honor is due is a means of demonstrating this quality of respect. Now, look at some of the different relationships the Bible talks about. In Exodus 20 and verse 12, it says, Honor your father and your mother. Now, I think eventually, you know, as two people are married and they leave father and mother and cleave to their wives, they grow past the time when they have to obey their father and mother. But they never leave the time when they are to honor their father and mother. We're to always honor our parents. Uh, Romans 12 and verse 10, in honor, preferring one another. We respect each other as God's family, as members of God's family. And because of that, we honor one another. We prefer one another. When it comes to, you know, doing business with a Christian or a non-Christian, all things being equal, you know, we're going to prefer the child of God, one that's in the family of God. We're going to show honor one toward another. Uh, in 1 Peter 3 and verse 7, husbands are to give honor to the wife. You know, you think about when somebody is honored in some way. Uh, this is what we're talking about here. We, we live a life of honoring our spouses. Uh, 1 Peter 2 and verse 17 says, honor all men. Do we show respect to all people regardless of how they dress or regardless of whether they're homeless or not? Do I look down on somebody that comes here to our building and I see this every week several times, people that don't have a home to live in? You know, it's easy to judge their situation, right? It's very easy to do that. And there are some circumstances. It's just cyclical and it's frustrating sometimes. But no matter what the plight of an individual may be, no matter how many bad choices they have made that have led to the circumstances, you know, I'm not going to let somebody take advantage of that, but I'm going to treat them as a dignified human being as much as I possibly can. You know, I want to try to treat them with as much respect as I would treat the person that drives up here in a new suit and a Mercedes. You know, human beings uh, are the creation of God. One soul's worth more than all the world. And we need to treat people with honor. Also, obedience is the result of an attitude of a proper respect. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, John 14, verse 15. Uh, if I have an attitude of respect for my Lord, I'm going to obey him. I'm not going to question him. I'm going to respect his authority. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say, Luke 6, 46. And so I, I fear God, I respect God, and I respect his authority. Ephesians 6 and verse 2 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Now, I wonder, I've often thought about this. You know, back in the Old Testament times, children that were consistently disrespectful were stoned to death. I wonder if we might have a great decline in population today if we... Uh, exercise that option today you know when we see the obvious disrespect that some youth have toward their parents they treat their parents like dirt uh, they treat their parents as if they're nobody 
Uh, maybe they're treated that way at home too, I don't know. But obviously, uh, it's not a good situation uh, to have. All right, let's move on and talk about the principles of life that uh, were passed on to the disciples of Jesus Christ that shows a demonstration of this quality. I don't have a lot of time here, but in Luke chapter 20, beginning in verse 21, Jesus taught his disciples to demonstrate proper respect toward the civil laws. Now, let's look here at Luke chapter 20, beginning in verse uh, 21. The Bible says, and they, that's talking about the chief priests and scribes, you know, in verse uh, 19, they said to him, Master, we know that you say and teach rightly and that you don't show respect to persons, but you teach the way of God truly. Boy, they're sure buttering him up, aren't they? You know, Jesus knows what they're doing. He knows they're trying to test him. He's, they said, is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their craftiness and said to him, why do you test me? Show me a penny. And he said to them, uh, whose image and superscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. And Jesus said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but unto God the things that are God's. What can you say about that? You couldn't catch the Lord. He said, we have a responsibility to the law of the land, but our main responsibility is to God, right? We obey God rather than men. Whenever there's a conflict between God's law and man's law, we always put precedence on God's law. And so we do respect the authority of the civil government. And we have to keep those laws, whether we like them or not, unless they're in violation of what God's law is. Uh, Matthew 17, 24 through 27, when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, does not your master pay tribute? And he said, yes. And then let's think about some New Testament writings that also impress uh, the cultivation and demonstration of this quality of respect in the writings of these inspired writers. We're not going to read Romans 13, 1 through 7 tonight. You're familiar with that. Let every soul be subject to the higher powers. Uh, again, stressing the uh, respect that we need to have for the civil government. Hebrews 13 and verse 7, the writer sets forth the clear obligation that rested upon Christians to show proper respect to all authority, civil as well as religious. And so there's no conceivable uh, activity, there's no conceivable relationship or involvement in which we are free to not demonstrate this attitude of respect. Showing respect is bound upon us in our relationship to God. It's also bound upon us in our uh, dealings and our relationships with one another. You know, think about how we worship God. You know, people say, well, some people prefer instruments, other people don't. Well, it has nothing to do with likes or dislikes or personal preferences, does it? It has to do with God's authority. It all comes down to that. It's God's authority. What does God want? What does God desire? See, we have to respect what he wants and what he desires. It's not what people might prefer. I think this involves our attitude of serving uh, God in our everyday activities. Showing respect toward others 
is bound upon all of us in our business dealings and our activities in the community or whatever the case may be. I've got two minutes. There's some conclusions that we have to reach in our consideration of the importance of our developing the proper attitude of respect and demonstrating that. Number one, we cannot be pleasing to God and fail in our responsibility to cultivate and demonstrate the proper attitude of respect. You are not in a right relationship with God unless you demonstrate this attitude of respect. We cannot please God and fail to demonstrate respect toward him and respect toward others. Secondly, the basic principles that are involved in the golden rule demand that we respect God and others. What's the golden rule basically summarized? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That is a key verse of showing respect. I wish we had more time to talk about it. You know, you think about how the golden rule would just change our world. You think about in the home, husbands and wives and their relationships, parents toward children, children toward parents. Think about the church today. Would there be any church splits over personal conflicts if we practice the golden rule? If elders put their selves in the place of the members and members, vice versa, put their place and the place of elders and thought about things from their perspective. If we practice the golden rule, it would change our schools. War would be totally unknown in our world today if people practice the golden rule. And so we need to demonstrate proper respect. And I think a good place to begin doing that is to make sure that I think about the golden rule every day that I wake up and I resolve that I'm going to live by it. Any comments before we're dismissed? If not, thank you so much for your attention. I appreciate it.